This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, welcome to the last day of our prayer conference. And uh, I'm so glad to see everyone. And uh, I get to finish this teaching. I've been kind of belaboring it a little bit and trying to uh, load it with some things that would, I think, be benefit, beneficial to you. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to closing out. I have three points I want to close out with today. And uh, we were talking as I closed yesterday about how many Christians are good at picking a fight but not very good at getting the plunder. You know, it, it doesn't do very good to pick the fight and then you don't even get bragging rights. You know, uh, I remember I was the uh, captain of our basketball team in high school, and I wasn't born again at the time, but uh, I was out, and we were having, we used to go out, and after the game, we'd go do things that uh, I'm not proud of, uh, and one night, we were driving out on our dirt road, and a guy who had a, probably the fastest and the nicest and fanciest and souped-up car in the whole school uh, was chasing us with some of his friends and uh, they were kind of the tough guys in the school. And, and so I, I had a, a dear friend of mine and I in the car and there were four of them and uh, they wanted to pick a fight. Well, I'm not a fighter. I wasn't a fighter then. I'm really not a fighter now. You know, I mean, I can fight if I have to fight, but I, I, in the sense of I, 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 you know, I didn't go out picking fights, but I was willing to finish a fight if you wanted to pick one. And so that night, uh, the guy picked the fight, and his four, the four of them got out of the car, and we ended up on the side of the road. And I never forget, I grabbed the one guy, and uh, we rolled and tumbled down the side of the hill, and I picked him up, and I threw his face against the barbed wire fence into the barbed wire and my other friend who was a real stud he took on two of the guys and the other guy just ran away we won (laughs) that's the moral of the story and we jumped in our car and I spun out and I threw gravel up on the front of his car he was really mad that I did that but uh I could never tell anybody because I was the captain of the basketball team and you know I, I even though we won that fight, you, you, you couldn't tell anybody. You, you, there was no spoils of the war, you know. There was kind of a dull rumor that went around. And we had to be plausibly denying it because had you gotten in a fight, you could have got kicked off the basketball team. He was on the basketball team as well, so we all kind of had to deny that anything happened. This is the first time I've ever really told this story. <laughs> it actually feels pretty good. It feels pretty good, you know. The spoils of war. I won. I won. I won the fight. You see, there's something about winning your battles and being able to have the spoils of the war, even if it's just the bragging rights that makes you feel good. And as Christians, you know, can you imagine that was in 1972 that that happened. And the first time I tell the story is this morning. The first time I get to have bragging rights is this morning.
We've got to do more than just fight the fights. We have to get the spoils of battle. And so today I want to talk to you about what it takes to go and get the spoils of battle. Many of you have fought battles and you've lost. Many of you have felt the pain of not seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life. And you've become either gun shy, you've shrunk back in, fight, in, in, in flight, or you have tried to go out and fight again and only to see yourself ravaged by the enemy. But God wants us to get back to the enemy's camp and to get some of the plunder that God intended us to have. And this year is a year of getting the plunder. There's three things I want you to see. We've been telling the story of the children of Israel and how they went into their promised land. God told us this year that we cannot do warfare the same way we did or we cannot live the same way we did or we cannot live by the same principles that we did in the wilderness. We're moving from a wilderness era into a promised land era. And so if you want to continue to live like you have in the wilderness, then you'll have wilderness results. But God wants us to move over and he says, I want you to think differently, act differently, move differently in this new season. And this new season began in the year 5777, the year of the king, the crown king with a sword. And the sword is falling and the sword has fallen. It's a, it, there's divisions of time and I'll be picking that up tomorrow. We're talking about the divisions of time. There are divisions that have fallen. When the, and when the sword falls, there's a new time. It's a new season. And this time has been cut off. The, the, the time of your captivity has been cut off. The time of your uh, wandering in the wilderness has been cut off. And we're, we're actually in a new season. And, and some of you feel it. Some of you sense it. Some of you don't feel it. Uh, God is not a feeling. You know, I, I'm really, you know, people say, I just don't feel God in my heart. Uh, you know, my, my, your heart is exceedingly wicked. It's deceitful. Don't go by what you feel. Let's go by what God says. And, 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 and the word of God is very, very clear and very, very plain that this is a new season. It's a cutting off of some things. The sword has fallen. And that's both individually, corporately, and I believe nationally for the nation of Zimbabwe. So with that in mind, let's talk about what happens. We see Israel going into their promised land. Of course, they fought the battle of Jericho. It was a tremendous success. It was an outstanding battle. And it was overwhelmingly positive for them. I mean, in fact, more than they could expect. And God said, Jericho is the first city that you'll take. It's my first fruit. It's the dedicated thing. It's under the ban. I want everything destroyed not one of you is to take any of the gold, silver, or any of the precious stuff. All that is to come into my storehouse. But everything and every person and everything in that city is to be totally and utterly destroyed. What's the principle? It's the principle of first fruits. You give God the first and he blesses the rest. That's the principle. So God says, I want the first for myself. It's dedicated to me. It's mine. Just like he likes the firstborn donkey. He says, he says, it's mine. He says, if you're not going to, he says, you can, he says, he says, here's what you can do. He, he says, you can redeem it with a lamb or you break its neck. He says, but nobody's riding that donkey. That's my donkey. And he has principles throughout the Bible. First is first. 
And, and, and the children of Israel know this language. Let me tell you something. This is not uncommon language for a Hebrew mind. For you and I, it's like, what are he talking about? No, no. In the Hebrew mindset, they understand the language of first fruits. They understand first things. They understand that God is first and, and God takes the first. And, and you give God the first. And when you give God the first, he blesses the rest. This is not uncommon to a Hebrew mind. That's why we teach the book First Fruits. I want you to get that because I'll I, I tell you what, you know, a lot of people say that's the tithe. That's not the tithe. First Fruits and tithes are two different things. So we see the story of the first fruit. We see the story of Jericho, and it's amazing. It's an incredible story. And God gives them the first victory. And then they go up to battle against Ai. Ai. And as they go up to battle, they're so confident. I mean, God is with us. We didn't even have to draw a sword. We hardly had to do anything. The walls plummeted and came down by themselves. They exploded. It was amazing. Hey, just send 3,000 men up to I. It's this little outpost. Just take care of them. They come back with their tails between their legs. Scores of men killed. Routed by the enemy. Fleeing. They became the plunder instead of taking the plunder. So it is with some of us. We have a great victory, and then we think that, hey, we can just do whatever we want to again, however we used to. God says, you have a problem. There's unrighteous plunder in the camp. Somebody has violated the law of first things. Somebody has violated. One person has violated, and it's corrupted the whole body. Can you see why God's trying to make us the body of Christ and heal us and why judgment begins in the house of God? So that's where we picked up. The, well, let's pick up the story from there. And, and, and there's three things I want you to see that you have to do. Getting back to the enemy's camp. Some of you don't want to go back to the enemy that you lost from. It was so humiliating. You don't want to go back and face your enemy. But you have to defeat that enemy. You have to defeat the enemy. And so we have to go back to the enemy's camp. But this time we're going to go back and get some of the plunder that God intended you to have. The first thing you have to do is you have to set an ambush. The Bible says in Joshua 8 and verse 2, it says, set an ambush behind the city. Now, the first time you went, you're in the typical predictable way. That's what God's saying. He says, you went up there, you did it typically, you, you thought you knew how to do it, you went the way you knew how to do it, you didn't seek me, you didn't seek my face before you went, you rode on the past victory and you just thought you could go out and do warfare however you thought you did warfare. You only sent 3,000 people, you didn't seek the counsel of God, and because of that, you didn't know that there was a problem. You didn't know that I wasn't going to go with you. You didn't know that I didn't send you into that battle. You just decided that you're going to go up and fight at AI. But this time, I'm with you. And this time, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to set an ambush. So what's the principle that we're dealing with? Well, when you're dealing with your enemy, now this is important you understand that, 
do the unexpected and you will catch your enemy unprepared. In Matthew 9.33, the Bible says, And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. You see, Jesus, who is our example, had a habit of doing the unexpected. He had a habit of doing the unexpected. And by doing so, he always caught his enemy unprepared. He did things like eating with the publicans and the sinners. He did things like letting a prostitute wash his feet. At a dinner party. He did things like walking through Walking on the Sabbath, let alone walking through the fields and picking corn and wheat and eating it with unclean hands. Unpredictable. This guy is unpredictable. He's the Donald Trump of the Middle East. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Jesus was that radical. People, the, the, it, it drove the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees crazy. You never know what this guy's going to say. You never know what he's going to do. He'd go into the temple and he would teach with authority. And it shocked the people and it shocked the priests because he wasn't even a member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus was a man constantly doing the unexpected, catching his enemies off guard, catching his enemies unprepared. You see, the enemy in Jesus' time was constantly trying to get Jesus to try to entrap him. Remember we talked about the temptation in the wilderness? He was trying to get Jesus to get onto a white stallion, to draw his sword, and to deliver the people from the Roman oppression. Instead, Jesus chose to come riding into Israel on the foal of a donkey. And he went to suffer and die on a cross. And he totally confounded the enemy. In fact, in Corinthians it says, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory from before time. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For had they, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Can I explain something to you? Jesus did exactly the opposite of what everybody expected. They were looking for a conquering Messiah. He came as the suffering Messiah. They were looking for someone to come in on a white stallion and he rode on the full of a donkey. They were looking for someone to, as Brother Mark was sharing so eloquently yesterday, receive the rich and receive the prominent and 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 make a name for himself and build his ministry and send out everything on his website and be seen all over the world, touch the world. And instead, he made himself of no reputation. He heals someone and they say, we need to get posters out. We need to have a crusade. And he said, no, let's move to the next city. His disciples said, hey, we can't wait for you to get to Jerusalem. This next feast is going to be, this is going to be the launch of your ministry. He says, no, you go up without me. 
and he sneaks in on his own. He, he's, he's constantly doing exactly the opposite of what the pundits are saying. He's doing exactly the opposite of what the media experts are telling him to do. The marketers of his day. This is always the case. It's indicative of the dichotomy between those who are led of the Spirit and those who are controlled by their flesh. Carnality. You see, instead of being a conquering king at that moment, he became a lowly servant. Now, there'll be a day for a sword and there'll be a day for a white horse. Don't get me wrong, that day is coming. But at the time, he did the unexpected. And because he did the unexpected, he caught the enemy unprepared. You know, some of the most inspiring stories in the world come from people who have done the unexpected with their lives. And God used them. I think of the story of a man named William Borden. If you grew up in America, you would know the Borden family. There was a time when every school child in the world drank Borden milk. Daisy the cow on the, on the, on the box of Borden milk. And uh, this is one of the wealthiest families in America. They, they, they kind of controlled the milk empire of, a, of the United States. And Borden, William, was a very wealthy man, a Christian who grew up in Chicago. He was the heir to the Borden milk fortune. But during his first year at Yale University, a very prestigious university in America, Borden committed himself to spending his life as a missionary. From a worldly perspective, it was an unexpected decision for somebody of this kind of financial position and the potential he possessed in the world that he came from. After his graduation from university, he sailed to Egypt to study Arabic in order to communicate with the Muslims of North India where he believed God had called him. You see, he realized that his real security was not his family inheritance. And so before he sailed, he took millions of his inheritance and he poured it into various Christian mission organizations. Now millions back then was unheard of. In his fourth month in Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis and died within a few weeks. When they came to him, under his, the pillow of his deathbed, they found a piece of paper with these words scribbled on it that summed up Borden's brief yet dedicated life. He wrote, no reserve, no retreats, no regrets. I want you to know something. This is not the plan a naturally-minded man would have made. This is not the course of action that most expected. But God is looking for those who will do the unexpected. So you and I also need to learn how to ambush or to set an ambush. We need to simply learn how to respond to the spirit and not to the flesh. We need to let God lead us by his spirit so we can set ambushes for our enemy. When someone slaps you on the face, do the unexpected. Turn the other cheek. When men exalt you, do the unexpected. Abase yourself. 
deflect the credit and give the, give the glory to God. When men try to get you to do one thing, I'm pretty sure if you'll do the exact opposite, if you do a 180 on them, you'll be closer to the spirit than the natural wisdom of man. Jesus always seemed to be doing exactly the opposite of what everybody thought. And I've learned this about the ways of the spirit. When you're led of the spirit, sometimes it's opposite to carnal, natural wisdom. Usually 180 degrees opposite. You see, in the kingdom of God, everything is inverted. And if you'll do the unexpected, you'll catch your enemy unprepared. Do the unusual. And I believe your victories will be remarkable. But what, what we need to understand is we need to do what men don't usually do. Can you follow this line of thinking? The Bible says it this way. What you do in secret, I will shout from the mountaintop. Do you want promotion? Then do some things in secret. Prayer is almost always in secret. The prayers that God answers are not the ones that we shout from the stage here. They're the ones in your prayer closet. They're the ones on your face before God. They're the ones where you're with the Lord. Or they're the ones where there's a few of you and you've poured your hearts out and you've agreed in prayer. Promotion comes from the but you wouldn't think about it, you wouldn't think that the way that most Christians operate. Social climbing, climbing the ladders of success, trying to make their name known, CVs and cards and, and all kinds of things to make myself something. But God says, no. He says, if you'll hide and go into the secret place, I will lift you up. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, and I will lift you up. There, 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 there's an approach that's not natural. If you want your name shouted from the mountaintop, do it in your closet. If you want to receive, the Bible says, give. Is that right? Doesn't that not make sense? The world says if you want to get, you got to have a gimmick. If you want to get, you got to have a product. You got to sell yourself. God says if you want to get, give yourself away. Give it away. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, become the servant of all. If you will do the unusual, your victories will be remarkable. Unnatural action elicits supernatural power. You see, if you're so predictable and you're so part of this world that everything looks like the world, acts like the world, has the world's applause, there's no room for the supernatural. As long as you are a natural man, as long as you do things that are natural, there is no room for the supernatural. There can be no power of God released in a natural action. That's why God says, do unnatural things. Some of you just need to stop doing just the natural things. Some of us are so afraid to do something that 
may meet with disapproval or may meet with somebody looking at it a little sideways or may, you know, that we have people that won't even raise their hands in church because it's like, huh, so self-conscious. Well, how are you going to be defeating, defeating a, a, an enemy in the spirit or in the natural if you can't even obey to lift your hands? You see, you have to do sometimes things that are unnatural to unlock some things that are supernatural. I, I, I love people talking about, I want to be supernatural. I want supernatural. But you're so contained. You're so in yourself. You're so worried, so self-conscious so, that you live in a little natural box and God couldn't move supernaturally if you wanted him to. If you're going to go back and defeat these enemies, sometimes you have to do that which is not natural. You have to do something. You have to set an ambush. You don't go back the normal way. You don't go back the way conventional warfare takes place. You don't go back the way that it's always been done. It's natural to pull your hand up into a fist and to retaliate. It's unnatural to open the hand and reach out to the party who's attacking to you and be a peacemaker. You know, the Bible, we were, t we were listening last night. There are keys of the kingdom. God says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. But they have to be inserted and used if we're going to open the doors of the kingdom. And many of us have not opened kingdom doors because we're so natural, we're so carnal. And that big old chain of keys is hanging on our side, but we just go about, we don't know the power that we have in our hands. When a man of the flesh walks in the spirit, it confuses the enemy. Here's the principle. Do you remember when the Apostle Timothy, spoke, the Apostle Paul spoke to Timothy? What did he say? Here's one of the teachings. He said, Timothy, he says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to treat every woman that you meet. Older women, he says, I want you to treat them like a mother. And younger women, I want you to treat them like a sister. Why would he talk like that? Well, think about the lust that is in the hearts of men today. Think about how men lust after women. It's a problem. And women, I think that you should dress modestly so that you prevent your brothers from lusting. Okay? But men, think about this. If you're looking at your older women, that means anybody a day older than you and on up, as your mother, when's the last time you French kissed your mother? When's the last time you undressed your mother with your eyes? You know, you know, it's amazing. Two things that you think about all the time, and then you talk about them in church, sex or money, we all get offended. But the fact of the matter is, if we would treat older women like our mothers, we could save ourselves a lot of heartache. It's not natural, but Paul's talking about a principle. He says, do the unnatural 
Are you following me? This is a warfare. Some of the greatest battles that have been lost have been, bought, have been lost on the battlefield of lust. And you have to go back and visit I again. You've got to go face that enemy again. Why? Because you retain something in your heart from the enemy. You retain something from previous battles in your heart and your life that you didn't defeat, men. And women, it's fa- affecting you today too. And we need to treat all of our younger sisters as our sisters. Younger women are sisters. How do you treat your sister? God forbid there's incest in the house. So let's go to the next point. Not only do we have to set ambushes against the enemy, not only do we have to do the unnatural, but we have to, secondly, give no place to the devil. In Ephesians 4, 27, it says, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. In Joshua 8, 28, the Bible says, Joshua burned eye to the ground, a heap of nothing forever, a no place Go see for yourself. The word I in Hebrew means a heap, a ruin, a no place, a no place. You see, the reason why God had the Israelites destroy the men, the women, the children, and in some cases animals throughout the Bible was not that God was a God of genocide. No, God was removing a cancer He was removing a people who were so perverted that he knew he had to remove them from the land or else they would contaminate the land. I don't know if you understand how perverted these people had become. They were so lewd. In fact, heading towards why God had to destroy the earth in the first place, man became so perverse, so perverted that God said, I I, I loathe the fact that I even made man. He says, I have to destroy man. And so communities would have to come to this place. Cities would be so perverse that God says, there's nothing left but to cut the cancer out. Destroy them. Because if you leave them in the land, they'll contaminate my people. They'll contaminate the truth. They'll contaminate you. Well, not only were they so contaminated that they had to be destroyed, but there was also something else that you may not know. In biblical times, there was something called blood retribution. Now, the blood retribution practiced by ancient tribal customs required the Jewish armies not only to destroy the soldiers, but all of their enemy. Every family member as well. Why? Well, so long as one family member remained, that person was bound by cultural law to attempt retribution against the enemies of his people. So, if you didn't kill everyone, unrest, hostility would have persisted throughout the nation's history. And there would have been impossibility to have peace in the land. Even if one member of the opposing enemy were to be allowed to live, they lived by what was called the law of the clan. Now, we have a little bit of this in different places of the world. You can see it today. Uh, There's been a group of people in America that have been fighting each other forever called the Hatfields and the McCoys. And they hate each other. 
And if you're a Hatfield, you hate the McCoys. And if you're a McCoy, you hate the Hatfields. And if you get a chance to kill one of them, you kill them. If, you get, if, they're, if they're left unprotected or unguarded, you take them out. And, and it's, a, it's a blood feud. It's called a feud. And this goes on even till this day. There's a hatred. There's a hatred in people. Well, do we have that in Africa? Are there clans here that hate other clans? Are there tribes here that have a veneer on the outside of some kind of civility? But underneath, it's if I get a chance, we'll take them out. See, I, I talked earlier about we need to take responsibility. Well, God said there comes a time when you cannot leave the enemy. These people believed in blood retribution. If Joshua had only gone in and fought the soldiers, when their sons grew up, he would have had to fight them again. Here's what I want you to understand. What's true in the natural in the Old Testament is true for you and I today in the spirit. The enemy that you ignore today on the home front will be the enemy you face tomorrow on the battlefield. What we tolerate today in our children, we must live and fight against tomorrow in their rebellion. What we tolerate in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our business, businesses, in our government, in our nation, in our society today, we will have to live with or deal with tomorrow. That's why we can't wait another day to begin to confront our legislators on laws that need to be passed to protect the rights of the citizenry of this nation. That's why in our churches, we must be in our prayer closets. We must be in prayer to preserve the sanctity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why in our families, heads of families must rise up and begin to pray and lead their families. I felt like Tommy's message last night, his prophetic word from this pulpit when he talked about fearful fathers. I'm going to tell you something, we can no longer be fearful fathers. We've got to begin to father our children. We've got to begin to deal with the enemies in our children's lives. Deal with the enemies of our iniquities. Deal with the enemies that have been passed down from our fathers into our lives and confess them before our children so that they do not have to fight the same enemies. If we even allow a little bit of leaven, it affects the whole. There's lots of things we have to deal with today in our lives, and had we nipped them in the bud, had we destroyed it when it raised its head, it wouldn't be affecting us today. But guess what? We didn't do that. That's why we need to cut sin out of our lives. That's why we need to deal with this stuff and get it out of our lives. We need to crush it. Sin is a poison. You can't have a little bit of sin. A little bit of sin is like a little bit of poison. Sin begets sin, and eventually begets death, the Bible says. The Bible says we must give no place to the devil. We must allow, or we must make AI of no place. We have to go in and destroy it completely. Get it out of your lives. We need to go to certain areas of our lives and make it a no place. 
There's certain areas of our church, our family, our business. There's certain areas of our nation we need to go crush the enemy. We need to make it a no place. And if we'll do that, we'll get the spoils of war. See, here's what's happened. Many of you have slain the big devil, but you didn't slay his offspring, and so they've come back to haunt you. Amen? I don't know if you see some of these horror movies. There's one, I think it was called The Spawning. It terrifies me, because it's exactly what that's about. It's called sin. Oh, I know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an alien. And they keep killing these aliens, and then they think they finally killed them all. And at the end of the movie, they killed this, in fact, there's one alien, and they killed it. And as they killed it, the guy goes to gut the thing and open it, and all these spawn come out of it. And, it, and then they scatter all over it, it's like, oh my God, now the whole thing starts all over again. And there's thousands of them. That's what sin does. If you don't kill the sin and its spawn, you'll be fighting that enemy again and again and again. The last point, we need to plunder the enemy's camp. Joshua 8 and verse 2 says, do to I and its kings what you did to Jericho and its king. Only this time you may plunder its stuff to your heart's content. <laughs> I love this. But let me tell you what we have to face today. And I believe where we're at today in this church and in our nation. Battle fatigue is a result of uninterrupted, prolonged exposure to battle. You see, in the mental condition of soldiers is just as important as their equipment condition and their training. You can have the best equipment, the best training, but if your mental condition is not right, you're gonna lose the war. Soldiers have to experience the feeling, the feeling of accomplishment. They have to experience the feeling of reward or discouragement. Lack of purpose begins to erode their ability to fight. That's why generals want to go in full force into the battle and they want to win the war. They don't want to go in and have a policekeeping, policekeeping issue or, or go in and, and do like they've done in some of the recent wars that we watch where it's just a no-win war. They want to be able to go in with the determination to win. So must you and I. Victory for an invading army is comprised of three components, three elements. Number one, Conquering, you have to conquer your enemy. Two, occupation, you have to occupy the land that you just took. Number three, plundering, you have to take the spoils of war. Zimbabwe, many of you, many of the church, many of the soldiers in God's army are overcome with battle fatigue. They've lost the will to fight. Why? Because they've never experienced the joy of victory. The joy of victory. It's been so long since you've had a victory. God wants you to experience the joy of victory. I said it earlier. Sometimes believers are good at picking a fight, but we're not so good at getting the spoils of war. In Joshua chapter 7 and verse 5, he, the message Bible says this. The heart of the people sank and all the spirit was knocked out of them. I tell you, this is where I see many believers today. Their heart is sunk. It's like somebody gave them a gut kick. You know what a gut kick is? Kicked in the gut. 
The wind has been knocked out of them. They're just trying to catch their breath. Spiritually, people have been gut kicked. They're exhausted. Many have fought and fought and fought and fought, but they've not received the plunder of war. They've not gotten the spoils. Folks, it's time to go back to I. We've got to go back to AI. But this time, this time, we're going to get the spoils of our conquest. This is the year 5777. This is the year of the sword of the crowned king. The sword is here. It's the day of our king. It's the day of a righteous battle. You and I have every right to come under the judicial mind of God. Zimbabwe is coming into a new election period. I believe that we need to pray for a transfer of power. I believe that it is self-evident that the rulership of this nation has not ruled wisely and we need a transfer of power. A transfer of power that will represent the king. Where the people of this land will enjoy the benefit of their land. The spoils of their own land. Not a few privileged people, but all the people. This sword is the sword of time. I said it earlier. And God says, when he says stop, it's over. When the sword falls, when God cuts things off, it's over. It is the time where we can ask for the sword of justice to fall. And we, like that Shunammite woman I spoke about a couple days ago, we can go before the king and we can make an appeal to him. And he'll say, go and get your stuff back. Go and get your stuff back. Can I tell you something? Our king is not an earthly king. Our king is a heavenly king. And I tell you, when the king tells you, go get your stuff back, when he says, go back to I and get that thing, you go and you destroy that enemy and you get everything that God tells you you can have. There are some things that God wants you to get back. And this is the season to get them back. Right now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time. Deuteronomy says it this way. In Deuteronomy 32, 41, I love the message Bible. It says, when I sharpened my lightning sword, when I sharpened my lightning sword and execute judgment, I take vengeance on my enemies and I pay back those who hate me. Boy, can I tell you something? That, that, that sword, that lightning two-edged sword that God is releasing in the earth today, when he takes vengeance. See, God doesn't mind you taking vengeance on the enemy. What is the enemy in your life? Who are the enemies of your life? For some, there's an area of sinfulness and you've never taken that. You, there's a, a plunder that has to be destroyed. It's weakened you. But God says, my sword's about to fall. I think it's time for God's people to go and plunder the enemy's camp and take back what the enemy stole. I don't know about you, I want mine back. And then some.
and then some. So let me close. He says, go back to I, AI. Get your stuff. Get enough stuff until your heart is content. Get enough stuff until your heart is content. Whew. I'll tell you what. Refuse to be content until you get your stuff. Are you with me? What is this two-edged sword that's about to fall? Well, it's the yes and the amen. All of the promises of God are yes and amen. That's the two-edged sword. God has made promises, but he needs, that's the one edge. But the other edge of the sword is his, your amen. Are you going to say, that the actual literal translation is of two-edged sword is the two-mouthed sword. The two-mouthed sword. The shin is in there. The shin is that which devours chaos. I'm going to tell you something. The two-edged sword, the two-mouthed sword, the two-teethed sword is God's word and you agreeing with it. God's answer and you doing what God says. Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. Can I tell you something? You get that two-edged sword going in your life, I, AI will fall and 31 more kings will fall after AI. Amen. Amen. I want to close with one last thought. And at the end of our sessions today, we're going to have what we call presbytery. Presbytery is where the pastors of the church and the leaders of the church will begin to minister to you. And at that time, often, not always, but often, there are prophetic words. Things that you need to hear from the Spirit of God. Things that God quickens to the heart of a man or a woman of God. That They don't know you. They probably don't know your situation. But as you're being prayed for, a word comes. Often a word from the word. A word confirmed by the word. A word, but it's a word for you. And so as we do presbytery and have communion again today, as we close out this prayer conference... I'm believing that for some of you, you'll get a word from heaven, a word from the word, a word that God will inspire you with, a confirmation. These words aren't directional. They're confirmation of what God's already saying to you. Do you understand that? But the Bible tells us that when, we, when those kind of things happen, the Apostle Paul says that to Timothy, he says, war according to the prophecies that were given to you through the laying on of hands of the presbytery. The, presby the presbytery is what we're going to do. It's a, it's a, it's, it, and, and that's, why, that's why we believe that. The elders of the church, they, they laid hands and they prophesied. And that's what's going to happen today. So I want you to understand that this is a season of warfare. You've got to go back and war. But you've got to war according to something. A war according to the word of God and according to the prophecies that are spoken over your life. Chuck Pierce, a, a man that I recognize as a prophet in the body of Christ, said this. He says, as you shake the heavens with your prayers and prophetic words, there will be a release of heaven's suspended blessing above you. Limited thinking and thoughts will vanish. New thoughts concerning God's will will be revealed. I believe this is a season to plunder your enemies. I believe it's a, t a season to recover your thoughts and your faculties. There was a king in the book of Daniel... Nebuchadnezzar, who was so lifted up with pride, his thoughts were so lost that for seven years, God cut him loose. And he lived like a wild ass in the fields, eating 
the grass of the field. He'd lost his mind. He'd lost his faculties. And some of you, maybe through all the stress and the trials that you've been through, feel like you've lost your mind. You've lost your faculties. You have no place of bearing. The prophecy today is that God's giving you your faculties back. He's giving you your mind back. Sometimes we need to go and possess the land of our mind. We need to go back and take what the enemy stole from our mind. We need to go back and take that arena of our lives. It's time to get our mind back. Align our mind with the Word of God. Align our mind with the Spirit of God. And we need to go back and take everything that, the God, take, that God took from us. I want the full spoils of war. I want the full use of my mind. I want the full use of my spirit. I want the full use of my body. I want everything that the devil took. I want everything that the enemy took. I want it all back. In this season, I believe that praising God will be critical to breaking the chains of captivity off your life. If you meditate on any scripture, I believe you need to meditate on Psalm 149. With the high praises of God in my mouth and the two-edged sword in my hand. And this theme is repeated throughout the scriptures. God's saying, I'm setting my people free. I'm pouring out held up blessings. There have been blessings that have been held up by the enemy. He says, I'm pouring those back out. I want you to say this, no more held up blessings for me. No more held up blessings for me. Well, you're going to have to go. You and I have to go and we have to plunder the house of our enemy. It's not enough to chase the devil from your house. You must go and spoil his goods. And just like that Shunammite woman, 2 Kings, it says, at the end of seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines. She came back from the land of her captivity. She came back from the land of her exile. She came back from the land where she'd been driven to by a drought. She went to appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Verse 6 says, and the king. Verse 6 says, and the king asked the woman about it and she told him what did he do when you make your appeal to the king who's asking you about what is it that you want to repossess he says I'm sending my angel your angel your enemies are my enemies I'm sending someone to contest your battle and you'll get it all back Learn to make an appeal to the king. God is going to release a case manager to look into your situation and to help you manage it. The king said, I want you to get her stuff and I want you to give it back to her with interest. With interest. Can I tell you something? This is going to be a great year. Some of you have fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and stayed in captivity. But this year, starting today, the angel that is in your house, the angel that is over your life, the angel that is in this house is going to go before us. 
We're going to set ambushes against our enemy. We're not going to give place to the devil. And we're going to get our stuff back. It's time to get our stuff back. There's no sense in us beating the wind. We're going to fight the fight of faith. We're going to hear what the Lord, our King, tells us to do. And He says, give her her land back with interest. Some of you are going to get your stuff back. All of you can, but you're going to have to learn to set these ambushes. You're going to have to learn to do things not naturally, but supernaturally. Do some unnatural things and see what God can do. Amen? Come on, let's just praise Him. Let's thank Him. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you in advance. We thank you in advance. We thank you in advance. We thank you for the spoils of war. We're encouraged in our heart. We're encouraged in our mind. We're encouraged in our spirits in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 This is an exciting time. The year of the crowned king with the sword in his hand. This is a turning point for our nation. It's not going to happen without a fight. Are you willing to go to war? Are you willing to go back and face your enemy? Are you willing to kill the enemy and his spawn? Are you willing to take the spoils of war? Are you willing to plunder your enemy? Are you willing? Well then let's go do it, come on. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is our season. Say this. Thank you for restoring me to my right mind. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.